is good. His mercy endures forever. Boy, Pastor Alex almost preached me saved again Sunday night. Hey, I mean, have you ever wished that you weren't saved just so you could respond to a message like that? <laughs> good preaching. Amen. Bless the Lord. Father, we thank you for this night. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Just thank you for, Lord God, just as my brother said, all the things that you're doing, Lord God, not just in this city, but across this nation and beyond. And Father, we just want to be made ready, uh, Lord God, through a heart of expectancy and faith, Lord God, for what you're doing, Lord God, not about to do, but what you're doing. And Father, I thank God that this world is beginning to see into the things, a lot of the, the judgment, Lord, of the nation, the Lord, we too. The birth painting that you're doing in this last hour in preparation uh, for the uh, the bride. Father, we ask that the time of trimming our lamps will. God, we want to be found faithful and worthy, Lord God, for uh, every vocation, Lord God, you call sin, Lord God. Your... So the night as we come, Lord God, we ask to search our hearts, nor our hearts, nor our minds, if there be wicked way within us, Lord Jesus. And we just ask that ours be open, our minds, God, be receptive. Teach us, Lord God. We just we want to be teachable. We want to be pliable in your hands, Lord God. Father, we don't want our, our walk to, to, to grow stagnant, Lord God. We don't want our minds, Lord God, to be unfruitful or unprofitable, Lord God, for you. And so, Father, we ask that you would just do a work, Lord God, in tonight as we get into this, Lord God. Father, give vision, give and give us wisdom, Lord God, for, and, and let you call us to give power and need you to overcome, Lord God, every obstacle in our way. We ask these things in his name. Amen. Let me ask you a question tonight. What do you think the biggest in regards to seeing the fulfillment of, of God's destiny come to pass, what do you think it is? The biggest obstacle is, Roy? Huh? Anybody else? What's the biggest obstacle? Do you think there's. I think the biggest obstacle in our cities is. If I could pose it like that. Pardon? Sin. Let's really personalize it tonight, folks. You know what the biggest obstacle for moving? It's us. I could say it's me. I could say it was you. You're the biggest obstacle. That God has. You know, she said, yeah, perhaps God does nothing uh, except he uses people. And, you know, you look throughout the word of God, and I, I look at people in the New Testament and the Gospels uh, that were healed. How did you just see somebody just sitting there and all of a sudden they jump up and say, nobody around, but I suddenly got healed. You ever see that happen? How about somebody just all of a sudden says, I was just walking about and I just suddenly got saved. It doesn't happen. What did God do? He used his people to step out into an area of obedience that might behold the opportunities that God had for us. So let me ask you a question. What part of you is standing in the way of the opportunities that God is wanting to bring upon his church? How are you holding back the miraculous? How are you holding back the power of God that desires to be poured out upon cities? Have you ever thought of that? It might be that one thing, that, that cog that is holding everything back in regards to what God desires to do. Have you ever thought about that? See, I think in those type of terms. See, I, when I got saved, I, I became just crazy enough to believe that, that, that God could use an individual to do miraculous things. I, I actually that. I believe that if God can just find someone that would just be willing to be obedient, that God could use them as a channel for his power and for his glory. If they would submit themselves, therefore, unto God, and they just begin to believe. So what about you? Are you, are you an angel tonight? That the Spirit of God, that the vision of God, that the testimony of God, that the work of God can flow freely through through you, that it doesn't stop in you, but you find yourself adhering or being stopped because of issues in your life that will not allow it to flow. Have you ever personalized things like that? Because hey, well, when we begin to personalize those things, then we begin to take responsibility for those things. And when we take responsibility, then what God does is he puts us in a place of ability or the ability to respond to those things. So if you're ever asking, well, man, I really do that, well, get off your tail. Get off your excuse. 
Get off your, your, your issues. I was talking to, I can't remember who it was the other day. It might have been Melanie, it might have been Pastor Alex and Holly, I can't remember. But I, we was talking about this ministering. And I said, what you always are going to minister out of, you're going to minister out of the overflow. Okay? And so as God begins to fill you up, and filling is something that's got to happen on a daily basis. You get filled up, why? So we can pour out. And so the only thing that you're going to ever minister out of is your overflow. And so if there's nothing flowing out of you, he that believes in the Scripture's word says, out of him it will flow rivers of living water. So your unbelief will shut off the flow of your ability to minister life to someone else. And so you've got to ask yourself, God, am I drinking? What am I pouring into my life? You're going to minister out of that overflow. And so you're either going to the overflow of love, joy, peace, suffering, expectancy, faith, power. You're going to either of those things, or you're going to flow out of selfishness. You're going to minister out of pride. You're going to minister out of arrogance. You're going to minister out of rebellion. You're going to minister out of, uh, of, of self-serving things. You're going to you're going to minister out of something so the question always has to be is what are we flowing out of and what's flowing out of us in other people how do you know the answer to that because we talk so much don't we jesse me and him's always talking about uh, proverbs fourteen twelve. because there's a way that seems right it's not the things that seem wrong trip us up is it isn't it crazy that it's the things that, tr- that trip us up or the things that in our heart we think are so right but the end thereof are the ways of death. So what are the things that, that we think are right? And how do you know whether they're right or not? You know it by, by its fruit. You know it by what it's going to produce. And so I may, somebody may hand me a sack full of seeds. And they might on the package apple seeds. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not a horticulturist or, or a botanist. And so I'm not real familiar with what different seeds might look like. Now... How do I know what the seed really contains? I plant that seed. I plant that seed. I cultivate that soil. I water that seed. It's going to take a while, isn't it? Because for a while, even if I plant that seed in the ground and I wait and it begins to bud just a little bit and I, I uproot it and I look at it, and you know what? There's still no apples on that tree. It still kind of looks like any other seed. It might look like a plant. It might look like a vine. It's like something, but it's certainly not going to manifest any fruit. So I have to let that thing come to maturity in order to see the fulfillment of that. And see, some of you right now, God is bringing you through that whole process. Because what you've done, you've had ways to seem right. You've planted them in the ground. You've planted them in the ground good intentions. You've planted in the ground your, 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 your desire or your words or whatever it may be. And those things have been cultivated. Those things have been cultivated. They've been watered by something. And so you've got to ask yourself the question, what are you cultivating? What are you sowing into that soil? What are you pouring into that soil? Now, for me, if somebody wanted to pour soil that had been, uh, wanted to pour water that had been laced with maybe some type of chemical agent, I'm thinking, you know what? The fruit of that tree is going to have that in its content. So I want the pure water to water and to cultivate everything in my life. So now what I want you to do, I want you to turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. I'm going to read several, uh, read quite a few verses out of that chapter, about 34 verses out of that chapter to you tonight, because I want to kind of set the tone sometime I'll talk about it. If, you, if you're taking notes uh, and you want to put a heading on this or if you want to write in your Bible, we're going to be looking at Luke, chapter 19, verses 12 to 46. Talking about the last couple of weeks is really the the whole basis or the foundation for for church planting or the planting of ministry. Now, what do we want, what do we want to do many times, folks? Is we want to get into the mechanics of church planting. Okay, here's what we need to do: we need to develop this team or this committee. We need to have an usher. We need to have a children's church. We need to do these things. But folks, I'm here to tell you: unless you have the character for church planting, you'll, you'll never have the spirit for church planting. You'll never have the ability to launch something out of your life and to see it bring forth fruit unless you first develop 
the character. Back in 1991, and many of you have heard kind of the testimony of how uh, Melanie and I came into the ministry. But back in 1991, when we started, uh, we, we really we were in a, in a large church of probably, what was it, 1,000 people at the time that we were in. And I work in, in banking and finance. And we went into a rock side the following week. Never, maybe one time, actually one time, a tape of it. And I preached in a out of the blue, a man that I did not know and had never had a speech. And I remember uh, that I paired. And what they took me to, and you've really been so familiar with me ever, Sean, and many quoted, but it let us love one another, is God knows God, he that loves not know God's love. Message that Wednesday night, I still remember vividly what nearly 20 years, the fact. So as God dropped that word in my heart, I had to ask the Lord, why is it that you would have me preach that message? He said, because you need to hear it. That was it. You need to hear it first. You need to hear it and grab it so it can flow your life. Here's what it happened at 10 years old, I've given my life to Jesus. And Melly and I were involved in, in the church. And my, my older son, who was more aged to me, uh, was the pastor. And we were in that church. And, man, just going for Jesus. And all kinds of neat things were, were happening. And, and uh, then all of a sudden, my, my pastor, uh, through just all types of broken relationships and stuff in that church, he left. And so here we were, kind of scurrying, looking for what, what are we going to do next? What's going to be our answer? You know, the, the, the leadership that was remaining in that church, just they didn't know what directly. There was no pastors there at all. And so we ended up going to just this large church in the city and spent three years in that place. Now, when we went into that place, folks, listen, man, we were on fire. I remember, man, I was just, you know, really just, uh, desperate for Jesus, just had that hunger for him. But three years sitting in that particular environment robbed me of the most important thing that I needed to see the fulfillment of ministry in my life, and that was the love of God. Now, I did things, had people pat me on the back. I did ministry type of things there. We had a neat group that formed in our home. We had how many people we had on my I mean, house full, just a house full of people that came over and saw God do some neat type of things. But, folks, just because... I could do the neat things did not mean that I was prepared for the things that God had called me to. Just because I had the right thing in the wall or the right endorsement of a person over here, right scriptures or whatever else, it did not qualify me to do the things that God had told me to do. Why? Because I did not love people. Did not. Like I said, I mean to people, I wouldn't be as friendly as anybody else. But as far as the type of love Jesus had for me, look, he was moved with conscience. I was in it for me. My idea of ministry was how can I get a position, how can I get a job, how can I get a title, how can I do, how can I get recognized, rather than how can I lay my life down. That's why I thought maybe it was a cheap place of notoriety, some type of position. And all it was for God to First John 7 and 8 and say, you got a big problem. You don't represent me. You represent a thing that seems right, but the end thereof are the ways of death. So I know what it feels like to be in that place because I lived in the issue of what it takes to come to that place of character building that's going to enable you to do what God has told you to do. Now, I use terms like this a lot in the ministry. And as a result, Melanie being married with me for uh, 24 years, you'll hear her say this. We don't have choices. Okay? Now, that's just not something we say. That is something that we've had to live. We don't have choices. So when God says do, we have to do. When God says go, we have to go. When God says speak, we have to speak. When God says give, because we would like be hard. Well, you know, God has put a command as fully as he is. So when God says you know, to, to allow the joy, when he says to sin, our lives flow this want is God build line upon and precept upon precept. At the end of the day, you're going to know exactly what you're going to get. Why? Because it's God building those things steady. I was talking to a young man on the street the other night, and he was just talking about just you know compromise here and a compromise there. And okay, and the Lord, I said, seems right. The man was probably twenty years old, and I said, what you're forgetting, Satan is a lot more than you are. Look at me. I said, here's the thing. I said, Satan doesn't care if next week you're hanged. He doesn't care if you're a heroin addict next week. 
he wants is maybe this week gets you just compromising just a little bit. He'll be satisfied with you drinking a couple of those Seagram's wine cooler this week because he knows next week that's not going to satisfy you. And I said, it does satisfy He's going to wait out a little while, he says, because he knows that eventually that sin graduates to his ire. And I said, so that same devil that you said don't have a hold on you, what he does, he's just surely like, a, like somebody trying to, to, to slowly uh, poison somebody with arsenic. You put arsenic in a 50-gallon barrel of water and three drops, and you wouldn't want to touch it. But you know what? You could drink that water, and you would never feel the, the ill effects of the arsenic. But you would over time. If you kept going to that, to that, that barrel, you kept doing it. Why? Because arsenic is something like sin. It builds up in your system. Over time, then all of a sudden it becomes your undoing. And folks, the same thing sin. If we drink from the arsenic-laced barrel of sin, and we don't think it's going to affect but what we do is we drink, and it kind of still tastes the same. There's no hint. There's no grace. There's no It's nothing visible. But we allow just a little bit of rebellion to come in, and we drink it. That didn't affect We just allow a little bit of unfaithfulness to come in, and it doesn't affect me. We just allow just a little backbiting to come in. It doesn't affect us. A cult to come in. It doesn't affect us. We not all know it doesn't. But eventually that barrel is going to find itself tainted through and through with the, those the damaging effects of sin. Luke 19, chapter, chapter 19, 12 through 46. Let's take you a title. And the title is, The Rocks Are Crying Out. The Rocks Are Crying Out. You know what's interesting about that, and we'll get to that just in a minute. You know, say something like that. The rocks are crying out. You know, there's always these things that always enter in through these presuppositions. Why? Because we've heard the phrase about if we don't praise him, then the rocks are praying. We've heard those things. But what I want to warn you to is don't get too settled on your interpretation of what he was talking about. Okay, I want to give you that, just that little heads up. That way I won't have to have you raise your hand. You give the wrong answer just in a little while. Okay? But here's what he said in verse 12. He said, therefore, he said, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then to return. And so he called ten of his servants, and he delivered to them uh, ten pounds. And he said to them, do business till I come. Now, folks, I got news for you. A certain nobleman came into a far country one day. It was 2,000 years ago when Christ Jesus came, upon, came off of his throne in glory. And he came down into a foreign land in order to, to receive of himself a kingdom. And he did promise his return. And he did call servants, and he has given us uh, those pounds. He's given us his spirit. And he told us to do business until he comes. Now, folks, the word says elsewhere, it says that, you know, blesses that servant when the master of the house returns. Finds him so doing. You know, Jesus, you know, really set the standard for that when, when he was just a young man and his family was looking for him. And what did he say? He said, I've been about my father's business. And so, folks, when the Lord Jesus Christ comes, is, is spoken of by this nobleman here in Luke chapter 19, uh, he's going to see if we're about his business. The Word of God says that when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? Not will he find uh, a good intention, not will he find religion, but will he find Faith. And folks, faith is the product of obedience, okay? Faith isn't something that mama imparted to you or that preacher blew in your face and gave it to you. Uh, faith is the product of our obedience in obeying God. So it goes on to say in verse 12, it says, But the citizens hated him. Does that sound familiar? He said that you'll be hated of all men for my name's sake. He said, Many are the afflictions or the righteous, of the righteous. And it says, So he sent a delegation after him saying, uh, we, we're not going to have this man to reign over us. We don't want this king that came to be our king. We don't want him to be our Lord. 
And so it was that when he returned, having received the kingdom, he then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. And so they came to the first. He said, Master, he said, your pound has earned ten additional pounds. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you were faithful in, in very little. Have authority over ten cities. Now, isn't that exciting? Isn't that exciting? You know, folks, we're a ministry that's about not just, we're, we're a ministry that's about taking cities for the kingdom. You know, we, we have a vision that in the next four years that we're going to have teams in 50 cities across the United States, Canada, and Mexico. We're on way to doing that. Where does that come from? That's the fruit of being obedient to the little that God has entrusted us with. Now, guys, Melanie and I, we talk about, we were in, in the city we come from, we were born on the wrong side of town. We came from the hood. And so we have that, we kind of have that hood mentality. We're survivors. We know that we've never been rich. We've never had those type of things. We're not striving for those things. We know because where our treasure is, our heart's also uh, going to be. And so, you know, we can, we can get down and dirty. We can go in place. Like it don't affect us. Why? Because there's not a whole lot we haven't seen. We've walked out of a front door in the middle of the afternoon, saw a neighbor hanging from a noose on a tree. I mean, we've been those type of things. I walked out of my, my door in the church. You know, 75 or 80 gang members lined up in my park. I'm standing in the middle of them. So that stuff, we're, we're not intimidated by that type of thing. You know, we've had to live off of five or six or a dollar macaroni and cheese and believe God. We've had to get in the car and, and in a gas and say, e, and have to pray over and say, God, you're going to have to carry us to our destination or we're going to have to bundle our babies up and walk the rest. And so we know, we know what that's all about. We've had to trust Jesus. We've had to be faithful. We know what it was like, Pastor Alex, walking into a church building where you're preaching in the, and it's so cold there because you don't have any heat that works that you're preaching and you that, that blast. You, we don't know that much about it. And we've been in Florida if you've been raised here, but when you're talking in the cold and you see your breath, you're preaching in the top of a building. And you're, I've been there. We've done that. It's lighting fires and barrels outside, whatever, so people can warm their hands on the way in so they can lift them up. You know, we, you know, that, that church, people lifted their hands just so they could shake them and warm them up. Not necessarily because they're praying, praising the Lord. And so you have to come to that place where what is it that God has entrusted me with and how faithful am I going to be over those things? You know, you can see ministry now, and obviously we preach around the, the country, around, around the world, and we've seen God do some tremendous things. But folks, it didn't start out like this. You don't know the tears, you know the hours, you don't know the faithfulness, you don't know the times when, when we felt like we were about to physically die, but had to will ourselves through the Spirit of God to go into a place of obedience to qualify for the things that He called it. The times when you stood up, you didn't have, you, you know, you're going to eat that afternoon, and the temptation was to sit up there and bellyache about your personal situation, but you knew there might be somebody back there that don't need to hear your bellyache. They need to hear a word of encouragement, a word of faith, a word of hope that's going to change and transform them. So for you folks that are called, that want to preach the gospel, listen, all those rules that are kind of normal, just the, the, the flesh driven, they do not apply. God has called us, according to James chapter 3, verse 1, to rise above the effects of circumstances and to stop flowing and stop ministering out of our issues, amen, and start flowing and ministering out of the promises that God has given us. That's where you're going to bring forth fruit. That's where you're going to bring forth power. That's where the anointing is actually going to show up and begin to break the yokes of bondage. You've got to take those pounds, those talents, abilities that God has placed within your hand, and you've got to put them to work for the kingdom of God. And the second came saying, Master, your money has earned five pounds. And he said, likewise to him, he said, you'll be over five cities. How many cities do you want to be over? Do you think in those terms? Do you really think in those terms? Most people don't think in those terms. Most people think, well, if I can have me a women's group, or if I can just have me a little church. I mean, I'm talking cities, okay? Here's what I'm saying to you. I want to give you, as a pastor, as a God-given an apostolic heart over this ministry, I want you to have city-takers mentality, okay? 
If you're satisfied with just take your little street corner, your little neighborhood, or whatever else, certainly that is the basis. That's a proving ground. That's a place that your metal is going to be tested, that you're going to have to stay, stand face-to-face on a personal level with people that aren't impressed with what you got to say, and God's going to see if you're going to endure. But the whole goal is, God, give us the city. You know, we sing the songs about he's the God of the city and greater things are yet to done uh, to be done in this city. Amen. I believe those type of things. I believe that God will give cities to those that would dare take the promises and the power that he has given and put those things to work for the kingdom. But then another came saying, Master, here's your pound back. Which I've kept and I put away in a handkerchief. And he said, Because I feared you, because you are austere man. You collect what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, Out of your own mouth I will judge you, you wicked servant. That's hardcore, isn't it? Out of your own mouth I will judge you, you wicked servant. You know, the word tells us that by our words we're justified and by our words that we're condemned. What is it that's coming out of your mouth? What is the testimony that flows out of you? Because whatsoever man sows, that shall also reap. Be not deceived by the mock. So what is it that's flowing out of you that's going to be that voice or that testimony uh, on the day of judgment on your behalf? Is what flows in your mouth righteousness? Is it hope? Is it love? Is it obedience? Is it power? He said, you knew that I was an austere man, collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. So if you knew all that, why did you not even at least put the money in the bank? That at my coming, I might have at least collected it with interest. And he said, those who stood by, he said, take that pound from him and give it to him who has ten pounds. Take what he refused to use and give it to him who has ten pounds. But they said to him, Master, he already has ten pounds. But he said, for I say to you that everyone who has will be given. And for him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And I want to stop at verse 26. You know, folks, when I was coming up uh, and God began to raise me up as a young man, and even before I was raised up in ministry, but when I knew that call was upon my heart, when I knew what God was, was, was wanting me to do, you know, I remember looking around at other people and thinking to myself, you know what, God, I wish I had just a fraction of their gifts and talents. I remember saying that. I said, man, God, if I could just do that, if I could, if I could, if I could speak like that, if I could witness like that, if I could preach like that, if I could sing like that, all those, all those things. I remember saying that so often and just, and really just people around me, guys around me, some older, some younger, some my age, and thinking, man, I wish I had what they had. And just crying out to God saying, you know what, God, all I got's, all I got's a little bit of, just a pound. All I got's one little thing. And God, what can you do? And I remember taking just that little thing that God gave me and investing it in a place called obedience. Now, I remember many times my pastor coming to me and he said, hey, will you do this? And it wasn't what I wanted to do. It wasn't even, quote, unquote, what I was called to do. But it was an opportunity to get it in the soil, so to speak. Because I knew as long as I held what it was, that gift or that talent or that pound, whatever you want to call it tonight, as long as I held on to it and I didn't put it into a place of maturation, a place that it could be tested, a place that it could take root, that it would never find itself growing and producing fruit for what God had called me to later. And so I took that. And you know what, guys? As I began to do that and as I began to, uh, to allow God to water that, 
I saw those that had started out with five and ten pounds. The flip side of this, never investing all those gifts. Making excuses. Can we close that door, guys? Making excuses for their lack of obedience or making excuses for their, 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 their lack of willingness or their lack of faith. I saw so many people doing that. And as a result, I saw them fall by the wayside. But you know what's so neat about that? And folks, here's a, here's a, a huge lesson that we can learn right here out of the Gospel of Luke chapter 19. Those one that you've looked at and you said, they want to be used like that? You know what? If they don't use it, they're going to lose it. And if you're faithful, God will entrust you to that gift. You hear what I'm saying? Because all of those things belong to him. And so God is going to measure and meet out. You can read the 12th chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians. God will measure and meet those things out as he desires. And so I just put myself in a place of obedience. And I said, God, I don't have those abilities right now. But I'm believing in my obedience and my faithfulness, Lord God. As I begin to step out, surely there's going to be somebody that you've entrusted something to. It's not going to use it. And so I know you'll want to put it to use. And so I want to make myself available and say, Lord God, if he passed on to somebody, I'll take a little piece of it, Lord God. God, if they're not going to use it and you need somebody to put it to work, Lord God, here I am. Lord God, you need somebody to sing a song, Lord God, I never sing a song. Lord God, but I'm willing to put that to use, Lord God. If you need somebody to go hit the streets, Lord God, I don't feel comfortable doing that. But know there's somebody out there that's got an enormous gift to do that. But they're not faithful to do it, Lord God. I'll put myself out there so you can entrust me with that pound. Lord God, there's somebody that, 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 that you've called the street preach. Lord God, that ain't necessarily my deal, but man, I'm willing to go out there and put myself in a position to do that. Lord God, you need somebody to work in deliverance and cast the devil out of somebody. Man, there's somebody out there that you've entrusted with that pound. They're not willing to do it, but I'm willing to do it. And folks, what you're going to find as you're willing to put yourself out there and put into the ground those things that God entrusts his people with, that God will begin to add to. If you're faithful over those little things, God will make you ruler over the big thing. But where's the problem? I'm going to tell you a big problem. Then I've got to watch myself. The big problem is not wanting to be faithful over the little things. And I want to qualify that just for a second. Here's what happens many times in ministries and the lives of ministers. Ministries and ministers many times will begin to despise those days of small beginnings. They will. They'll despise it. They'll despise that one pound that's been entrusted to them. And what they'll begin to do is get covetous over the one that's been entrusted with ten. And they'll say, I don't want to do anything unless I can do the ten. I don't want to do anything unless I can do the five. I don't want to do anything unless it's that on that other point. What do you end up doing? You beginning, you, what you end up doing is you begin to nullify everything that God has entrusted you to. Now, folks, when I first started out in ministry, you know what? I didn't start out preaching and flying around the country. I didn't do that. What did I start out doing? I started out in a little ark. I was 18 years old, teaching a vacation Bible school to about six or eight of the rowdiest, rowdiest little six-year-olds you've ever seen in your life. But you know what? I wanted my... Six or eight little rowdy kids to be the most Jesus-filled and impressive six or eight little kids in the whole park that day. That's what I wanted. I said, you know what? That may not be the ultimate thing, but I tell you what, to the end of the day, people are gonna, I want people to say, man, you've really got a, a, a knack for kids. No, what I had is I had a knack for obedience. 
You know what? I did that. And when it came time and somebody came to that big church and said, we want you to be an usher. We want you to. I don't even think they called us. Is that a fancy name for it? All it meant was you open doors and tell people they're glad to see them. And you give them a piece of paper. Not, not a whole lot of accolades associated with that. But I said to myself, you know what, man? I want to be on it like that. Man, I want to be the one that's, that's there. I want to be the one that people want to come through my door because they say, man, there's that one guy. Man, he's a blessing every time we come to the door. He's the one that, man, he greets us. I mean, we know that we're welcome. To, that's, that's the attitude I wanted to have. I wanted to be that one. If somebody needed something, man, I was right there. Hey, can I help you? Do you want to know where the nursery's at? I wanted to be that one that was faithful. That's, that's where I started out. And as a result of just incremental obedience, God was able to trust things in my hands. Why? Because he knew I'd be faithful over the little things. But the danger in the body of Christ today, folks, is people not wanting to be faithful in the incremental stages of obedience. And so what they do is they chunk the pound away and say, you know what, God, there's a way that seems a lot quicker, a lot better, a lot faster Look what it says in verse 27. It's a hard word. Check it out. He said, but bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. That's what he said. He prefaced it by saying, you know what? Everyone who's been given from him uh, who does not have... It's going to be taken, and from him that does have, it's going to be taken away from him. But he said, bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them in front of me. Now, folks, you know what that is? That's a picture of the final judgment. It really is. Now, who are those enemies? Now, is it enemies? Think about it just for a second. Who are the enemies of God? Demons? Is that mentioned in demons in verse 27? No. Who are the enemies of God? What would you say? The unrighteous? What's unrighteous? Give me some definitions. Give me one word for it. Disobedient. Who are the enemies of God? It's the disobedient. Folks, we like to look at the, the, the uh, enemies of God as the, the drunkard, the drug user, the prostitute, the whoremonger, the blasphemer. But the enemies of God are the disobedient. How's your obedience looking? How's your obedience functioning? Folks, I got news for you. The first thing that he's going to check out is whether or not you were obedient. The God puts people... In our lives, he puts authorities in our life to check our disobedience, to expose those things in our life. You don't know how many times I was asked and told to do something that necessarily I didn't want to do. But what I learned early on was obedience to God. Why? Because I'd read passages like this and I saw the consequence for the disobedient. Verse 28. And when he had said this, said what? Bring my enemies to me. Bring those who don't want me to reign over them. Don't Bring those who don't want to have authority over them and slay them before me. And when he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass, somebody say it came to pass, that when he drew near to Bethpage and to Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples saying, go to the village 
opposite you where you will enter and you'll find a colt. Really, just a young donkey is what it was. Tied to which no one has ever sat. Now, think about that just for a second. Bring me that colt, that little young donkey that nobody has ever sat down on its back. Anybody have any idea of the significance of that? I'll give it to you in a second. And he said, turn it loose and bring it here. And he said, if anyone asks you, why are you loosening it? You say to him, because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent their way, they found it just as he said it would be there. But as they were loosing it, the owner of it said to them, why are you turning loose that colt? And they said, what? In obedience, what did they say? The Lord has need of him. So what did they do? They obeyed. They went and looked for it. They obeyed. They found it. They obeyed. They were asked what they were doing. They gave the answer. They obeyed. Now, folks, here's the deal. What if they had just went up there and just snatched that donkey? You know, I've watched enough cowboy movies. I know horse thieves are usually hung on the spot. I don't know how it worked exactly in their days, but I'm sure it wasn't real good. But what were they doing? Obedience to God, and God honored that obedience. And it says, when they brought him to Jesus, they threw their own clothes on the colt, and they sat Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then as he was now drawing near the descent of Mount Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. And they said, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Somebody say that. What they say in verse 38? Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to the crowd and said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Tell them to quit saying that. Now listen to verse 40. Circle this in your Bible. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones should immediately cry out. That's New King James. I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. And now as he drew near, look at this verse, verse 41. He saw the city and he wept over it. Saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you. They'll surround you and they'll close in on you on every side. They'll level you and your children with you to the ground and they will not leave one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Folks, are you aware of the time of your visitation? Are you aware of it? Are you aware that this may be your time of visitation? Folks, you know, I, I say that because I've had opportunity in 20-something years of ministry. I've seen people miss their their day of visitation. I've seen whole churches miss their day of visitation. I remember, I think it was Holly sharing one day in, in this congregation about a time in, in Texas that man, God was really visiting the place in, in a strong way. And I, and I told the church, I said, listen, guys, there's a time of visitation and we've got to press in. I mean, tremendous revival was taking place in that, in, that, in that church. I mean, God was doing tremendous things. The power of God was falling in ways that had been unprecedented. And, and I knew, I knew what people were doing. I knew people were getting lax in prayer. I knew they were getting lax in obedience. I knew they were they're just beginning to, to, to see what God was doing, kind of his old hat, is this something that should be expected or whatever. And they didn't see this, the urgency and what it required to press through at that moment. And I told them, listen, here's what's happening. You've got to press in. God, this is our hour of visitation. And people didn't take it serious. 
and it lifted. Just as quick as it came, it lifted. Does that mean we didn't keep doing things that we did? No, we kept doing them. We kept going out into the neighborhoods. We kept feeding the hungry. We kept seeing people get saved. But there was a marked difference in the spiritual atmosphere because people did not know that it was their time of visitation. Here's my concern with some of you. My concern is that you'll just see what is happening in your life right now as just some common thing that you're going through. It's no significant moment of time. But I'm here to tell you, if you're here tonight, and maybe if you're, you're listening, maybe this is that hour of visitation in your life that God is wanting to do something tremendously unprecedented and remarkable. But what you've done is you've taken those opportunities and you've cast them to the wayside. And I especially speak to those that have a call for leadership. Leaders are notorious for this. You know, Pastor Alex preached this past week on, uh, last week I guess it was, and touched on it just simply on the issue of pride. If I've ever seen anything undo someone with a call on their life, it's pride. Because what you do is you expect more than you deserve. You expect it faster than it's going to come. You expect it to be greater than it really is. And you become a legend in your own mind. And that's what it is. And so what you do is you become a self-called and a self-willed uh, egotist rather than a humble person that God can use for his kingdom. And how you do this is what you do is you see those that God has used and you see authority and you mistake it for something else. You see God's power and you see the confidence in Jesus and you think it's something that that person has done. Folks, I'll just tell you right now, Troy Bond has no ability outside of the spirit of God dwelling in me. Period. I get outside of that will. I get out from under that call that God has placed me on. I am worthless to humanity. In my flesh dwells no good thing. The reason I can do what I do, the reason that, that, that God allows me to move and to see the things that I see is strictly because of him. That's it. You know, I'm not smart enough, powerful enough, or any of those things to do any of those issues that God would have me to do. But... I learned something a long time ago, and it was called obedience. God, if I can just obey, do what you tell me to do, say what you tell me to say, and trust you in a diligent patience, Lord God, then I can be effective for your kingdom. You've got to learn, folks. There's no smoke. There's no mirrors. There's no shortcuts. All there is is incremental obedience to do the things that God has instructed us to do. And he goes on to say, he says, you do not know the time of your visitation, they went in the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in it. You, know, you, you share this, Pastor Alex, and that's, that's what ends up happening. And he said to them, it's written, my house will be called the house of prayer, but you have made it the den of thieves. You know, Jesus went and he took that whip and he made that cat of nine tails. And he began to, to turn over the ta- tables. He began to whip them out of the place. You know, obviously we're not going to do that today. That, that probably wouldn't go over real well if you begin to, to take and to flog people and to tear their hide from their back and to, to tear up furniture, especially in a beautiful place like this. We're just borrowing from someone. They might not appreciate it. But you know what serves that purpose today? The word of truth. See, tonight, somebody may be getting stung by that word. You know why? Because you're the one behind that table. Somebody may be listening tonight, and you may be that one that he's driving you out. Why? Because you've made his house a den of thieves. You've stolen credit. You've stolen authority. You tried to, to steal a call or whatever it is that doesn't belong to you. 
All those things are, 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 are products of self-will. You, 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 stole, you, 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 you stole obedience because you failed to be obedient to God and you've taken it under your own hands. You've, you've done those things and what, what you're going to find is that God is going to drive you out. I can say this in, with authority because of the authority that God has given me for this ministry is that if you miss your hour of visitation and if you find yourself in that mentality, God will drive you out. I'll say that to anybody that's involved here in Raven Ministries or if you're listening on the Internet and you happen to be involved. I don't know who logs in. I can't see the screen. But here's what I'm telling you. If, if you become self-willed and you walk outside of obedience, do not use Raven Ministries as a vehicle to build up yourself. Do you hear what I'm saying? I'll just say that. Do not think that what this ministry that God has entrusted us in with our own lives, literally, he's entrusted us with. Don't think it's something that's going to prop you up. It's going to put a name. Go start your own thing. I don't want you to taint the ministry that God has called us in. We've had to be faithful over with our own lives. If you think, you make you get your own black shirt and put your name on it or something. But don't put the name of Raven Ministries and expect God to, to bless it. If you don't like that, tough Talk about me. I've been talked about for 20 years. You know what? Your, your, your words are going to fall dead because I know who I serve and I know what God's entrusted me with. And what you're going to find is just like he drove them out, he'll drive you out. So you can take that for what it's worth. The country boy said one time you throw a rock into a pack of dogs. The only one that yelps is the one that hits. And so uh, if you're yelping, chances are you need to check yourself. I want to say this, folks. Here we have a picture of what Jesus, and, and Pastor, you know, I want to take the liberty to say that, you know, I, I, I am the one that God has put over this ministry, but I also I honor the, and respect what God has raised up here on a local level with Pastor Alex as well. But I, I want to say this, and, and you know me well enough, uh, you don't want a shaky foundation on what's going to be built up here in this city. You know, you don't want contentions. How can two walk together except they be in agreement? And, and it's better to, to part uh, with any individual that uh, wouldn't want to walk in agreement with the vision, the call that God has entrusted you with, because you're going to be held accountable. And not just to me, you're going to be held accountable to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't want him showing up one day and driving you out because you you were fearful or you became a spineless jellyfish, as I say, or whatever else. I don't want that to happen to you. So I want you to know, listen, you've got to hold true in obedience to what God has instructed you to and take the reins of that authority that he's given you and be willing to do that. And I, and I, and I know that you will. But, folks, here's the thing. We look at Jesus coming into the, the temple and, and, and uh, coming into Jerusalem, excuse me, and they began to, to cast the, their clothes down. They began to pa- cast their palm leaves down. I don't believe uh, Luke gives that example, but uh, you, you'll find it in, I believe, in, in Matthew 21, 1 through 11, and uh, Mark 11, 1 through 11 as well. You'll find them. They begin to cast those palm leaves down. And, you know, you think about it with people, and I don't know how much of the history you know on this, but, you know, here Jesus is showing up, and he's on a donkey. And, you know, he came, and he came with a promise. Do you believe that? And he came with a promise and, and, and the people that saw it, as they began to get excited, they latched hold of that promise. And, and brother, I'll tell you this as the pastor of this local work. What's going to happen is you begin to move upon what God sets you upon for, the, for really a first time, even setting upon the responsibility. You're going to have people that are going to latch onto that promise. Some are going to latch onto it with the right motive and some are going to latch onto it with the wrong motive. What you're going to find here is I explain this to you just a little bit. Most of the people that when Jesus rolled into the city of Jerusalem on the back of that donkey, they they latched onto the promise with the wrong mentality. And, brother, you're going to have to overcome that, too. 
And I'll say this right now. Most of the people that were the promise initially are going to grab a hold of it with the wrong heart. And when the dust clears, they're nowhere going to be found. I'm just telling you that right up front. That way you won't be disappointed in when what happens. And so what they did not grasp was really the importance of this event that they began to see here because their own ex- expectations was all they could see. And their confusion, though, was understandable because everything that they had built to that point was based upon their own expectations. What you're going to find, whether it's right here in Daytona Beach, Amarillo, Texas, New Orleans, whether it's in San Diego, California, Santa Rosa, Philadelphia, wherever it is God might pull, what's going to happen is, is when vision comes in, people are going to attach to it their own expectations. They are. And so what they're going to see is what they want to see. What they're going to hear is what they want to hear. It doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter the directive that you give. What you're going to find is they're going to begin to flow out of their own expectations, their own selfishness, their own self-will. And brother, there's not a thing in the world going to be able to do about it until you get off the back of the donkey and pull out the whip and start driving them out. Hate to say it, but that's what's going to happen. People are going to come in self-willed, and they're going to have their own desire and expectation. But I want you to notice what Jesus does here. It says he gets on the donkey, and he he rides into Jerusalem. And like I said, Luke uh, doesn't get into a whole lot of the importance of that event. But Matthew tells us that it's a fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9, and you can write that down. Matthew tells us it's a fulfillment of the prophecy of Zechariah 9.9. It was a prophecy that the Jews would understand uh, in reference to the Messiah. And you can also put down, I'm not going to read this, but Genesis 49, 10, 11, you'll see that there's a connection that's going to be made there between the donkey and a king. Genesis chapter 49, 10 through 11. If you feel you read that, you're going to get some, some uh, really a good reason for hope because what the Jews did is they saw their, their, their long-awaited freedom from Roman tyranny. Here was a people that had been in bondage. They had had this, this unrighteous uh, leadership over them. And so Jesus shows up, and, and, and what they're thinking is, all right, we're going to get freedom. Now, let me ask you guys a question. Help me here. When Jesus rolled into town, did he have, a, 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 did he have armor on like a, like a warrior? Did he have a sword in his hand? Did he come in on a big stallion that was puffing smoke out of his nostril? He didn't have that. What was he? How did he come in? How? He came in on a baby donkey in a robe and he was unarmed. Now, you tell me that people don't draw their own conclusions and see what they want to see. Did he give any indication whatsoever that he was going to roll in as this triumphant king, raising up a a military or a militia to overthrow the Romans? Did not. So why did they respond like that? They saw what they wanted to see it didn't matter what he was doing how he looked like they they, i'm sure they had all these excuses well i thought or it was my expectation or, or i just assumed how many times have you used words like that folks no their expectations included peace from oppression you write this down peace from oppression peace in their country and peace in their lives that's what they wanted now, what do you want in your life? You want peace from oppression. You don't want to be oppressed, do you? You want peace in your country, right? And peace in your lives. How do I know that? If you watch the news lately, this health care stuff and all these people battling over this and battling over that. Have you seen all the stuff that's been going on in these things? 
You've heard about it? It's crazy. Folks, I got news for you. You know, I've lived, I was born during the Johnson administration. Some of y'all don't even remember Lyndon Johnson. Maybe you saw his picture in a, I was born during that. But, and you know what? I've never had a single politician solve one of my problems. I don't care if it was a Democrat or a Republican or an Independent. You know what? They have never been my source. I've heard every one of them tell the same lies and break the same promises. They just say it with a different look on their face and a different pin on their lapel. None of them have ever done a thing for me. They've all lied. They've all promised. And you know what? The promises and the problems keep mounting and mounting and mounting. And one's calling this one a liar and that's calling that a liar. And you know what? At the end of the day, it's all of us sitting right here thinking, you know what? If they'd spent half as much time actually doing something or all the money they're wasting on those things, just put a little bit in our pocket, we won't have the problems. But you know what? It doesn't matter. They continue to do that. And so everybody wants those peace in their country, peace in their, in their, uh, in their, from oppression and peace in their, in their lives. And you know what? They, it was understandable. They were going through some things. Anybody been going through some things? So it'd be understandable if you wanted some of those things to happen in your life. To get a little relief. You know what? We went through some issues, going through some issues with Melanie's health. And man, you know, we think about, man, it'd be nice to, to be able to have some affordable health. You want those things. But at the end of the day, you have to say to yourself, regardless of what they do, we've got to put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's understandable to want some of those things and to have some needs. But at the end of the day, we can't say that's our source. It's Jesus is our source. And so what they did is they responded with worship. Did they not? Blessed be the king who comes in the name of the Lord. So they responded, and so it looked right, didn't it? And it looked like, boy, they had it right, but we know, because we know the backside story, that they weren't really expecting this humble Jesus that was going to come in and die and hang up on the cross. His own disciples didn't even want him to do it. And so if I just got a snapshot of that moment, and I see Jesus riding in on this baby donkey, probably dwarfing it under his under his legs he's coming in with his robe and all of a sudden these people are pointed down man if we just had a snapshot of that moment we might be saying to ourselves man the people get it would we if you ever walked into a church service man everybody was huckabucking and praising and getting their praise on you thought to yourself man these people must be excited about Jesus. they made me i gotta go on praise Lord. that word the pastor was talking about winning the city let's go hit the streets huh we're singing that song, he's the God of the city, let's go into the world and preach to you. Yo, we're singing that, in that. Oh, were we? Well, what happened? Your expectations came in contact with something that was quite disingenuous. Why? Because you expected something that really wasn't. That's exactly what happened here. They began to praise, they began to, to worship. They began to throw their cloaks on the ground. You know what that was? That was... That was an act of humility that was only reserved for the warrior king. Don't know if you know that. You can look at 2 chapter 9. This is when the only, only place in the Bible that that act is recorded. 2 Kings chapter 9, it's when Jehu was the king of Israel. And he ended up getting sent off to kill uh, Jezebel and all those wicked leaders. But you know what? Jehu's mission, his purpose was to destroy all the wickedness that oppressed Israel. And so when the people remembered this, what did they do? They threw the cloak on the ground as an act of humility. See, because we don't think Jewish, we read something like that, and we think it's, oh, it's a worship service. Actually, what the people were remembering was what they had been taught from their youth. Jehu wrote in just like that because he was coming to kill Jezebel. He was coming to kill the wicked leaders. And so they had 
had a presupposition. They had a preconceived idea of why this Jesus was going to show up. He was going to kill and run off their oppressors. So they responded to Jesus, what, out of their own expectations. Here's what's going to happen, guys. Not just... I've directed a lot towards Pastor Alex because he's got a kind of an immediate responsibility here. But some of you that, you know, uh, whenever it may be that God begins to raise you up, you know what? People are going to respond to you out of their own expectations. They are. People are going to say, well, you know what? You didn't speak to me, uh, Reverend Joey, when I wanted to get spoken to. Or Pastor Amos, you know what? You didn't give me. You didn't call me when I thought I I needed a telephone. Or, you know... Prophet Troy, and don't get any idea. I'm not pronouncing anything on anybody. People say, oh, he called me a prophet. Hallelujah. I can start in a minute. You've got to watch it in some circles. You didn't give me the word that I wanted. What's going to happen is people are going to respond to you out of their own expectation. You will not be able to do anything about that. Except ignore it. You have got to learn to ignore other people's expectations or what you will find yourself doing is getting derailed from your obedience to God. Because what you'll try to do is you'll try to fit their expectation in to the directive that God has given you. Can't do it. I remember when I left Amarillo, Texas, after serving nearly 14 years as a pastor of the church that we we built and poured our life into. Man, everybody on the planet came out and they wanted to put their expectations. You can't do this because of that. You can't. They didn't say you can't obey God. Because... My decision, our decision to obey God was going to have a direct effect on them. And the biggest direct effect was now they're going to actually have to get up and do something. They're not going to have somebody wiping their nose and brushing their teeth and combing their hair for them. They're not going to have somebody that's going to try to warm up that that cold old building. They're not going to have somebody that's going to have to be directing everything and making sure everything's taken care of. They're actually going to have to take the responsibility. And so they want to fit their expectations in to the directive that God gives us. Folks, don't fall into that trap. Pastor Alex, uh, Sister Holly, do not fall into that trap of allowing someone else's expectations of you dictate your obedience towards God. Hold firm, stand pat, set your face like a flint, and do what God has called you to do. And so as God begins to give you those directives, amen, Don't let someone else's expectation of you define the call that God has placed upon your life. I want to say this because I have to preface all these things. Otherwise, people will throw something in. Does that mean that God is not going to raise up leaders to give you the counsel and to provide that that covering? And I don't mean covering in the sense of, of like people do, that you're outside the covering. Only God can ultimately cover us through the blood. But I'm talking about somebody that's going to uh, stand in authority with you, somebody that, that you can answer to, you can bounce things off of and be confident in. I don't mean that you don't listen to that at all. I mean, you better listen to that because those are the ones that God has in your life that are praying for your soul. I'm talking about all the naysayers. I'm talking about the ones that are quick to throw down their cloaks, but the second you don't meet their expectation, they're going to turn coat on you. That's who I'm talking about. So they responded out of their own expectations. And so they think that he's coming as this conquering hero, as a reigning king. And they think that the reason he's coming is to make their lives better. That's what they thought. And so when we do ministry. Here's what you're going to think, guys, that are called to the ministry, women that are called to the ministry. People are going to think when you show up, the only reason you're there is to make their life better. So they're the thing. I get it all the time because of the role, the position I have. I have many people that want to be involved in this ministry. God help them. Because they think if somehow they can be a part of this ministry, it's going to fast-track them to something. I don't make anybody any promises of that. 
They think if, boy, if I could just come into Raven or I can get to be a friend of Pastor Choice, it's going to make everything so much easier. No, they, I, want to, I, want to, I want what you have. And you do not want what I have. Trust me. Do you want all the sleepless nights? Do you want all the, uh, the, the times and wrestling with the Do you want that? Is that really what you want? I'll give you a dose of it. Your disciples made that mistake, said, we want to drink from your cup. You do not want to drink from this cup. But what's going to happen is people are going to try to pass themselves to you because they think that you're going to provide an, an, an easy venue to their own personal desires. The trouble is that their expectation, their expectation is centered on their own comfort, their own needs, and their own desires. That's what you're going to find. Tell you, anytime you're planning, you're going to have people come in, and all of their expectations are going to be centered on their own comfort, their own needs, and their own desires. And see, what they're missing is the most important part. And in doing this, the followers did not understand the peace that Jesus was offering them. It was the peace was not a destruction of their enemies, but it was destruction of their sin. Don't need to say that again. The peace that he came to offer when they began to cast those palm leaves down. It was not a peace or deliverance from their enemies. It was a deliverance from their sin. Whose sin? Their sin. Now, folks, when ministry comes in, ministry is not there to deliver you from your enemies. Ministry might put you in the hands of your enemies. But I need to say that again. You might be turned over to your enemies because of ministry. You might be turned over to the you might be turned over to the persecutors. You might be turned over to those that will revile. You might be turned over to them. But in the midst of it, what God wants to do is to set set you free and to liberate you and to bring you freedom from your sin. Folks, he wrote in that they might be set free from themselves. And folks, if you get into ministry, if you're part of what God is building, what you're going to find is that you're going to be set free from you. Amen. Just like I was set free from a person that was unloving towards people, I got to get set free from that. And I got the heart of Jesus in regards to people. And I found that ministry was not about position. It was not about a project. It was not about a title. Ministry was all about how can I invest the life that you've given me into other people's life. And I got more concerned about other people than I got about me. So here's my question. You that are here, you that are on the Internet tonight, is your call in the ministry, is it more about you or is it more about other people? See, there's certain things that I, I do and don't do because of other people. How it's going to affect other people. I have to be obedient because I know that everything that I do is going to trickle into somebody else's life. It's going to have the effect. And folks, if you're living on an island... And if you think that what you say, what you do doesn't have effect on somebody else, you are fooling yourself. And, 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 and I question whether you're called or not. Period. Can I, can I pick on a few people tonight? Not directly, but just challenge you just a little bit. You're going to challenge. Challenge you, Joy. I'll challenge Joy because Joy's not 20 years old. Joy's 42 years old. Here's what you've got to know, Joy. Everything you do is going to affect somebody else. It is. Now, when I say do, does, I mean, does that mean that uh, if Joey decides to go out and turn into some uh, beer drinker that's going to affect somebody else? I, I don't think you'd ever do that. Okay? So if Joey decides he's going to go be a heroin addict and affect somebody else, it would, but I don't think you would ever do that. I don't think that would be your struggle. So you've got to ask yourself, is what is it incrementally 
that the enemy would use in me to affect someone else? That's what you have to ask yourself. Maybe if I have a tendency sometime to, to get down sometime because of circumstance, what do I have to tell myself? I can't do that. You know why? Because I'm going to be ministering to them out of the overflow of my disappointment. I can't do that. Not because I don't want to do that, because I can't do that. Because they're more important to me than I am to me. You see what I'm saying? They're more important to me than I am to me. Troy, you've got to say to yourself, you know what? Uh, yeah, I can kind of just coast and I can kind of just do that because I'm a good guy or whatever else. But how is the way I conduct myself? How is, my, how, how is the drive that God has put into me, that, that the desire to press forward, to do more for the king? How is that going to affect somebody else? Because you're only going to flow, you're only going to minister and reproduce out of that overflow. And so if they say, well, you know, Troy Morris just does this. Troy Morris is just this and that. Well, where, where is it going to come? If they're going to say, you know what, I want to, I want to, I want to find something bigger and deeper and press further and, and, and walk with, a, with an authority. Because you can say what you want to say, but unless that's backed up by an authority, what's it going to reproduce? So we've got to ask ourselves, what is it about us that the enemy would want to try to utilize to affect somebody else? Because they're more important than me. Are you willing to lay down your life for a friend? No greater love. I hear people talk about Mel all the time about we've got to love, we've got to love. And I don't believe what they're saying because there's no greater love than a man that would lay down his life. Usually the ones that say you got to love are the ones that want to hold on to their own life. They want to hold on to their own sin. They want to hold on to their own ambition. And they're telling you, you got to love me. You can't rebuke me. You can't call me out. You've got to give me an opportunity. Well, if, I, if I'm really walking in love, you know what? I'm not real concerned about my circumstance. Usually what they are is they're hypocrites. And we know what the scripture teaches on hypocrisy, but that's not my message tonight. So when they begin to cast those cloaks down, their cloaks not only indicated a false expectation, but it also indicated a false praise. They honor with their mouths, but their hearts are far from him. Their intentions were all wrong. They said the right words, but they had the wrong intentions. There's a way that seemed right, but they end over the ways of death. And so on the surface, it seemed good, but as he came down that Mount of Olives and he was on the back of that, uh, that, that, that donkey... And he began to come into that city. It says they began to sing. You know what? It's interesting, folks. What they sung wasn't that unusual. And you'll find it in, the, in Psalms 118. The reason it wasn't uh, uh, unusual because during the season, there were six palms that were used to celebrate Israel's freedom from uh, captivity in, in Egypt. And you'll find that in Psalms 113 through 118. Just mark it. I'm not going to read it. And they're called the Hallel Palms. Or Hallel Psalms, and the songs of praise were sung by the pilgrims as they began to approach Jerusalem. They used that. That was a, a ceremonial type thing. So it was very, a very common thing that they used. And so what happened is the crowds were flocking towards the city in preparation of the Passover. So the presence in this song was not really a surprise because people were coming in for Passover anyway. But there's something interesting. There's a change that's made in Luke. The other Gospels record uh, Psalms 118.26 says, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I made a point of that earlier, and it picked up on that royal nature of the event, but Luke picks up on those in the crowd who said, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, which tips the hand to their expectancy. 
It didn't say blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But blessed is the king. So, Pastor Al, here's what you're going to face. People are going to come and say, blessed are you. And they're going to put their expectancy. They're going to put the title of what they expect out of you who comes in the name of the Lord. And as long as you meet that expectancy, blessed are you. But the second it, it becomes something else that they don't desire and they don't want, what they're going to do is they're going to reject you as the leader of that work. Mark my words. It's going to happen. Okay? They'll say, well, as long as you're following, they'll say the Lord. But what they mean is their own expectation. I'll follow you. But the second you fail to meet my expectation, because I'm expecting the king, I'm expecting this, I'm expecting that. As long as you're doing that, I'll follow you. Rather than saying, blessed is he who the song really said. And so, regardless, brother, if God's called me to follow you, man, I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what it sounds like. I don't care what it acts like. Blessed are you who comes in the name of the Lord. Because I'm following the God-given, ordained leadership that God has put upon your life. And you know what? I may not always agree with it. I may not like it. I may be challenged in it. But I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to be obedient in it. Because I'm going to say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Who comes in the authority of God. Who comes in the anointing of God. Who comes in the call of God. Who comes in the vision of God. Because I'm not recognizing it based upon my expectation. But I'm recognizing it based upon the call that God has set before us. Amen? Do you get that? Somebody said, hmm. He came in on a donkey that had never been ridden. I'm going to wrap up quick because I've talked for a long time. He came in on a donkey that had never been ridden, just like he had been birthed through a womb that had never experienced childbirth. Think about that for just a second. Everything he did was... The first time. And so when he came out of the, 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 he came out, he came upon an unbroken animal and it pointed to his mission. And and folks, think about this. Numbers 19.2. You can write these down too in Deuteronomy 21.3. The animals that were used in sacrifice were animals that had never been yoked, never been ridden. That was the ones that were given for sacrifice. And he comes in as a type of a sacrifice. And so by using that, Jesus points out how he will bring peace, a different type of peace. And he enters Jerusalem offering peace, not being the destroyer of Israel's enemies, but by allowing himself to be destroyed. Do I need to say that again? When he came in, he didn't do it to destroy their enemies. He did it to allow himself to be destroyed. Folks, you that are called to the ministry, the way that you're going to overcome your enemies is allowing yourself to be destroyed. That's how Jesus brought peace. That's how he brought his kingdom. That's how it was initiated in. Now, what do I mean by that? How do you allow yourself to be destroyed? Well, you allow your pride to be destroyed. You allow your ambition to be destroyed. You allow your rebellion to be destroyed. You allow your fear to be destroyed. You allow all those those things that characterize who you were to be destroyed. That way, God might resurrect something it's going to bring him glory. If the same spirit that raised up Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in you, it's going to quicken you. It's going to make you alive. It's going to empower you to do everything that God has told you to do. I'm going to close there tonight. I've got a little bit more, but I'm going to close right there. I hope you get the gist of it. Yes. A yoke is something that you put on to hold them. 
know, they put the wooden stock, the yoke. A yoke would be another word would be a bridle. Uh, what's another word for it? Uh, I use bridle. Huh? Harness would be a great name for it. He said, folks, I'm going to close this because I didn't bring this point out. He said, if you don't praise, if they did not praise immediately, he would cause the rocks to cry out. What do you think he meant by that? We'd think that, wouldn't we? He'd raise up something else. But folks, you know it's not even that. He was literally speaking prophetically what was going to happen in 70 A.D. Because they did not receive him as Messiah. If you'll remember that the temple was overthrown and not one rock stood upon another. That's what he's talking about there. I'll cause the rocks, the very temple that you worship, the very temple that you, you rejected me for what was. You rejected the manifestation of the Messiah for the type and shadow. That temple is going to cry out. It's going to testify against your unmet expectations. Folks in this nation, just talk about this a little bit because of what's happening in this nation. You know, righteousness exalts a nation. And when we don't praise his name and we don't obey his commands that he's told us to do, you know what's going to happen? The rocks are going to cry out. The decisions that are made by our governments are going to cry out as a testimony against us. The, the rocks, the hardness of men's hearts, the rejection of God's demand and great commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel, those things are going to cry out against us. That's what he's talking about. It's not a declaration of a substitute. It's a declaration of judgment. Folks, if we don't flow into what God has told us to do, be obedient to that moment, what's going to happen is we're going to find ourselves in rubble, and that rubble is going to say, this is what you brought upon your own head. Father, tonight, we just ask in the name of Jesus, Lord God, that we be found faithful, Lord God, into everything that you called us to do. Lord God, what I pray for, Lord God, for this ministry, Lord God, especially on a local level, Lord God, and for any of those that may be listening tonight, maybe somewhere else that have a heart and call for ministry, Lord God. Father, I come against, I come against the darkness and the demonic, Lord God, uh, power of, uh, of personal expectations, Lord God, apart from your will. Selfish ambition and pride, Lord God, will be the undoing, Lord God, of of many. And, Father, I ask in the name of Jesus here tonight, Lord God, and and I I pray, uh, Father, for this this local leader, Lord God. I pray for Pastor Alex and Holly. I pray in the name of Jesus, Lord God, that they would not allow anyone else's expectation of them or the call, the responsibility to dictate the destiny, Lord God, that you've set before them. I pray in the name of Jesus, Lord God, that you would anoint them, empower them, Lord God, for everything that you've called them to. And I pray for each and every one else, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Lord God, that we would see you, Lord God, for who you are. Lord God, not for who we desire you to be. And that, Father, we wouldn't be or have our lives and hearts based upon good intentions, Lord God, but obedience, Lord God, and submissiveness to your heart and will. And, Father, I thank you tonight, Lord God, for your power and your glory and your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Amen. Thank you, guys.